G'day everyone and welcome back to the Livestock Leaders Podcast. Today we have yet another leader and advocate for the livestock industry here to share her story. My name is Millie Nolan and I'm your host and today our star guest is Jessica Wallace. Jess is ambitious and forward thinking and we're so excited to have her here today. So Jess, how are you today? Well, thanks Millie. Thanks for having me in. No, thank you for coming in. I've asked you, so I've given you a little bit of prep because I realise this question is hard, but what are three words that you would describe yourself with? Okay, so when I was thinking about this, it's actually really hard to think about yourself (laughs) in that way. Um, But if I was, I think three words to describe myself, I think I would say that I'm probably quite resilient. I hold myself to account, so accountable um, and honest. Yep. Yes, we know each other outside of this and I can definitely vouch for those yeah, short phrases and words. Um, so tell me more about yourself. What do you do? Where are you from? So originally I'm from um, rural Victoria and before moving to WA, I did a stint in Queensland and I worked in the financial services sector. Um, I'm one of these people that I'm pretty random. Like I have a very random <laughs> past and... <laughs> You either. It's actually been a bit of a problem, not a problem, but uh, many recruiters and that sort of thing sort of look, used to look at my resume and they'd be like, well, okay, let's, then none of this makes sense. <laughs> so I have done a few different things. So I grew up in um, rural Vic, um, wasn't actually from the ag sector as such or from an agricultural family, but I've always been connected to ag in some way, shape or form. And um, yeah, and that's that's basically where I'm from, rural Victoria originally. Yeah. Yep. And made it into the West. So did I from rural Victoria. (laughs) So place to be. Um, You're really passionate about red meat. Tell me about that passion. Yeah. So I love red meat. It is just such a cool, it's such a cool industry and it's so complex once you get to know it. And I think that is just why I'm so fascinated by it. Like the science that goes into it, um, you know, you've got all these different genetics and genomics testing and and that sort of thing to produce a product that then goes on a supermarket shelf that people select. (laughs) I just think it's really cool. And just knowing how complex the supply chains are, I find it, I just find it fascinating. And the people in it are very good. So Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We both um, went to Murdoch Uni and we both did ICMJ. Can you tell us about ICMJ? Yeah, blast from the past. So ICMJ is the uh, intercollegiate meat judging um, competition. So basically what it is is like different unis from around Australia and some international unis get together in Wagga. Um, and we literally stand around and judge carcasses and primals. Um, it sounds bizarre. <laughs> oh, what a blast. <laughs> it, it, it is a bit weird, really, when you think about it from, you know, someone from outside of ag must just be thinking. <laughs> I know. I remember telling people and they were like, oh, so you just get to eat red meat for a week. I'm like, oh, not quite. Like we have the networking dinners, but not quite. And, you know, I just remember it's pretty intense though. Like the training sessions, we'd be up at four, we'd be down in the, you know, down in the cool rooms at uh, butchers, basically just standing around, freezing our butts off, um, learning about, you know, the different MSA grades and, you know, how to you know, basically break down a whole carcass and that sort of thing. And it's, yeah, I think that's just how I became fascinated with it. And the fact that there's literally no wastage um, along the red meat supply chain um, 
well from especially from producer through to to supermarket um but the whole animal gets used in some way shape or form in some industry far far away it's yeah. there was something you know it's just it's just a really cool um yeah industry and supply chain yeah, absolutely. And I think as young people in agriculture and just young people in general, we're so much more aware of like less waste, of being sustainable Definitely. and everything like and that. And I think, so. you know, if more people knew knew about the complexity of it and basically how detailed it is to produce that product and how much love and passion and generations and go into it and and then the supporting people along the supply chain that just love it and make the industry tick I it's just it's just a cool story I just yeah I just love the red meat sector anyway Um, and you also love the final product you're a bit of a cook cook. yes or a lot of a cook (laughs) go that far but yeah I do love cooking so I've always been a cook um you know, I've basically always cooked dinner since I was about 13 um, and I just I just love it. Um, my dad was a very good cook and then that's sort of how I got into it and, um, yeah, I just love cooking. So I cook yeah. a lot of meat. <laughs> and tell me, like, how do you source that meat? Like where's your product from? So I mainly go um, – I'm one of these people that's a pain to shop with. Um, so if we're standing in the meat aisle of a supermarket or a butcher, like – you don't just run in and grab a piece of steak or <laughs> it's a good 20 minute ordeal. Um, so I, I normally, if it's just a week, a weekly shop, I'll always probably just go to my local butcher. Um, or I do sometimes buy direct off farmers as well that I know. Um, or obviously from the supermarket as well. I don't actually buy too much meat from, from the supermarket just because I like to actually select my my meat my cut or get it cut by the butcher um there's nothing wrong with obviously supermarket meat at all but I just like to select what I'm having and and you know select the thickness and then how I'm going to cook it and what type of cook I'm going to do so it's yeah <laughs> I just don't go and grab a random piece of steaks because they're just <laughs> it's a whole process <laughs> yep and your cooking method would really like define what cut of meat that you yeah, use. Yeah, definitely. So I don't like to spend a lot of money on meat and I also love a lot of slow cooked or wet, um, what we call like a wet cut. So that is something that's cooked for quite a while. Um, and yeah, just depending on, on what I'm doing and how much money I'm trying to save <laughs> depends on the cut. But just because it's a, not a you know a premium cut doesn't matter really if you, if you have the cooking technique down pat or you know you're interested in trying different different foods so all beef is good beef all lamb is good lamb and all pork is good pork Jess I know you're a good cook because I follow your Instagram kitchen time can you tell us about that oh, my Instagram all my 300 followers now <laughs> <laughs> so basically I started this Instagram page just because there's there's so much good food on Instagram and it's just one of these platforms that no matter what industry you're in or what you're into there's going to be someone posting on it Um, and I just love the food community on Instagram so I started this Instagram page just to show um, you know what I'm cooking at that time and you know I do a lot of barbecuing as well so I do have a few different sort of barbecues um, and then from that yeah, just post my post my food on there. Um, it actually started because 
my family and friends were asking me a lot of questions in how to like, oh, that was really nice. How do you cook that? Or can I have the recipe for that? Um, so that's actually how it came about. So to support my Instagram page, I've actually now started a personal blog <laughs> where I post the recipes online so they can just follow it through and have a look. And I also talk about, well, I've just started talking about more of uh, industry on there as well and doing a few more agricultural blog posts, I suppose. You're a bit of an outlet. Yeah. No, I've noticed that. And that's like, I guess, a form of advocacy for you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think most of what I do in my actual day job can, you know, I I talk about it anyway. So I might as well, you know, pop it in a blog and yeah, I just love it. So yeah. So that's sort of what it's built into. Um, I don't know what it, where it'll go or, you know, what it will be, but yeah, at the moment, just having a bit of fun and you know, the fact I actually managed to build my own website, sometimes I'm like, wow. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm not a techie person, so I was quite chuffed, even if it took me six months to do it. <laughs> well, listeners, go give her a follow if you don't mind. I know what I do. I cook my dinner and then I look, scroll through my Instagram and I see what you cook for dinner. I'm like, damn, that looks good. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Neil. But lots of, yeah, lots of great information. I can't wait to read more of your blogs. Um so when we talk about advocacy, that is just one form. Can you tell me about the different forms of advocacy and picking the right avenue for you? Yeah, so essentially, obviously, there's going to be different types of advocacy, as as you've mentioned. So you've got the social media advocacy, the transparency of just working on farm and just showing what you're doing that way, much of what, you know, the Livestock Leaders is about and also um, the Livestock Collective. But we also have in industry another stream of advocacy which is a lot more political um, and that is political advocacy or agri-politics and that's where basically I work and that's what I do in my day job Um, and everything in agricultural production along the line always comes down to the political level so it doesn't matter what you do and where you work in ag if you're in the industry as a grain marketer or if you're a producer on farm, or if you're a packer in a um, in for a meatworks, for example, it all comes down to the political level. And I think a good example of this was last year, or what we're currently going through with COVID nineteen. Um, if our industry didn't have the political advocacy that we do through national representation of peak bodies such as National Farmers Federation, um, Cattle Council Australia, Sheep Producers Australia. Oh, there's so many. Wool Producers Australia, Grain Grain Growers um, Limited and Grain Producers Australia, then there is no way our industry would be as strong as what it is right now because of the people working behind the scenes to get that, to keep that industry ticking along. Um, so that's the other stream of advocacy. Um, and it's very intricate and it basically relies on people working in the industry uh, to get involved um, and join join these groups um, to basically make the industry's issues heard at a political level. Um, so that's sort of where I come in, um, in my role. Um, and that's how, yeah, that's how you get involved. So most most of the time you'd, you'd get involved through, the, when I say, you know, you said correct, like the way to get into it would be through your state farming organisation, which is the recognised body for that particular state um, and then from there you can get onto uh, the committees on those uh, state farming organisations. Now the interesting thing is those 
local committees then feed into the national representation and policy. So I sit on quite a few national oh, I sit on about 42 different <laughs> committees oh <my> God. <laughs> it, it's, it's insane um, and then I've got my farmer producers on there and industry um, supporters on there as well um, and we have elected um, nominees sitting on there each state has the same they can do the same thing so so I guess you know if you are issues focused and you do want to make a change in industry there is such a good avenue for you to go through it's already there I just think a lot of younger people in ag don't actually know that um and you know if you want to do you know if you're passionate more about leadership in uh, like producer leadership or you're you're passionate about where your levy monies are spent through GRDC or through MLA or even to an extent like AWI that's how you do it is you do it through your state farming organization that then feeds in um and you can have a, a lot of change because the industry, you know, we always need fresh faces with different perspectives and from a, like people from a different skill set offering, you know, what they think might work and have an input to. So, so there's lots of opportunity there. I just don't think it's one of those things that is necessarily spoken about yep. as much. Yep. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Having your voice heard. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you were part of the Livestock Leaders course. Um, you became part of that in September, I believe. So I think you come from a very different perspective because when, you know, the general person like myself thinks about advocacy, we do think about, oh, yeah, well, how, what can I post on social media? Like a, a media interview, you know, get on the news, on the local radio. And so you've been part of that course with a super different perspective of how we can get our voices heard. What did you take away from that program? Yeah, the program, you know, was awesome. I mean, the thing that I loved most about the program was it was just so refreshing for me <laughs> to sit around with a, a similar generation of uh, fresh-minded, like-minded people. Um, and that for me was like, oh yeah, you know, there's other people out there that, you know, they're just as passionate, um, if not, you know, more in different areas. And I think it was just so refreshing. Um, and the Livestock Leaders course it really did. I mean, I've never been one that shied away to, you know, we go back for, I'm very honest. <laughs> so I've never been afraid to speak my mind um, within context on what I actually, you know, know a little bit about. Um, so it can be very intimidating, I think, for a lot of younger people coming through. And I think the leaders call, or not even younger people, any like anyone of any age, it can be really intimidating because um, as soon as you, you know, you can pop your head out a little bit, there is unfortunately a bit of tall poppy syndrome that do, does happen. Um, so the Livestock Leaders course, I thought was really good at confidence boosting and basically saying, it's okay to have your point of difference and it's okay to put it out there and tell your story and, and why, because we are different and your voice needs to be heard. And that, I, I think that was really refreshing. Um, definitely that's probably what I took, took away with it. And even, you know, going back to my cooking, I'm like, yeah, I like cooking. I can talk about meat and I can talk about the supply chains and I can talk about this and I can talk about that and I, it's okay. I can do that outside of ag. So that's sort of like for me, I'm like, yeah, I don't have to just do it in my – in my day job like I can live and breathe this stuff even though I'm not 
necessarily a producer. Like agriculture is definitely a lifestyle if you if you work in the industry, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And have you found that, you know, you say that your Instagram started with just your family and then you've probably got a little bit of an agricultural following as well, but do you have like a public following? Like do you think that people want to hear our story? Yeah, definitely. I think um, most of my followers obviously come for the food and then they've like delved into, you know, a bit more into the ag side. And I, I've noticed that there has been a bit of crossover between other livestock leaders and I'm like, oh, that person follows me and now they follow you. And then so it's good. So they're definitely interested in it. Like I've noticed a pattern Um and then you've got, you know, you've got some livestock leaders that have thousands and thousands of followers um, and they've just got an amazing a following of people that just, they're just so interested in it and they're just absolutely fascinated. Um, so, yeah, I think it, people are interested in, in what they don't know and I think it's a very powerful, powerful thing that, you know, what the course is doing and, you know, getting the, getting the stories out there really is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what this podcast is all about. Like we want to give you guys an opportunity to share that story because we think it's so important. Um, You spoke about your network with the other livestock leaders. Do you still stay in touch with them? Yeah, definitely. So I still, um, I still follow them obviously on social media. I, I work with a few, you know, within the industry in my advocacy role um, as well. Um, And then, yeah, I've got some that just, you know, we talk about different things and yeah, it's a good way to make new friends, I think, definitely. Um, and just find those like-minded people or have similar issues or similar thought processes and that same, that sort of thing. And then you've got, you know, I love it that, you know, for me, working up north in a station is just so foreign, but it's so cool. Like I love, I love following that sort of thing and you know, I could, I'm not good in the heat, so I don't think I could ever go. Ever go <laughs> Little Victorians that we are. <laughs> I know Victorians are just, yeah, not good in the heat. Not <laughs> Cannot work in the heat. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and I think we often talk about in agriculture that sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know um, that's so important, so that networking, yeah. Oh, definitely. I think, you know, definitely who you know and networking. I mean, any job that I've actually ever had in my very random past is – it's all been through who I've known. I mean, definitely. I mean, if you, that's what I'm going back to my CV. Uh, I, it's all been through who I've known. Cause I've, it, I've worked in, you know, PR, I've done events, I've done hospitality. I've done, I was a junior journalist. Like I've just, I've worked for a wedding and bridal magazine in publications. Like I, I've stood, you know, I've worked at like music festivals and done events there. Like it's so random that, you know, people looking at my CV goes, well, what, what's this chick doing? Like she's, she's like, is she just not a, like a sticker? Does she know, does she not know what she wants to do or, you know, that sort of thing. But um, I think it's definitely important to have a network because if they know you, they don't so much look at that piece of paper. Um, and when you're competing with, sometimes hundreds if not thousands of applicants are definitely you need to have a network because it's just a, a foot in the door a, f- a phone call you know a meeting yeah I'm all for the networking and my memory might be a little bit hazy but that's how you got this current role of you that you have all right yeah yeah definitely so I still applied for the job um, but I knew WA farmers through the ICMJ program um and then they had like a sponsor's dinner because they sponsored us. Go Murdoch. Woohoo. Um, and then, yeah, I just got chatting to them. And it wasn't until 
I think a good 18 months after um, that the position at the time was for the grains executive came up and I went for that and I didn't actually know anything really about the grains industry other than the different types of um, grain itself um, and then everything I just basically learned on the job and was a big sponge really yeah <laughs> but with such a diverse career like before that did you put like I'm guessing there were skills that crossed over Oh, definitely. And that's the thing. If you've got skills that can easily transfer, that's, I think, what employers are looking for is that transferable skills, um, a willingness and eagerness to learn and just someone that just has a doer attitude, like just get it done um, and and then be accountable if they get it wrong. <laughs> yep. So I think, you know, transferable skills are so important. They definitely are. Um, and a- anything else you can you know, you can learn and you can talk to other people and you're constantly learning. So I, I wouldn't be, I would never not apply for a job just because I didn't tick off all the job description points. So yeah, I just wing it anyway and just see how it go. You never know. I think what did I, Ellie Bigwood who works in, um, she works for AWI. She said a good thing the other day. She goes, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you didn't take. And it's, it's so true. Trust Ellie to have the wise oh, words. Yeah, she's a very wise, <laughs> wise woman. So, um, but so true. It's so true. And it's, you know, you just got to put yourself out there and don't get upset if it doesn't happen. Um, because there will be a new opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And we speak about these networks and taking these opportunities. So do you have mentors in your life? Like how important have they been to you? Yeah, so I've always had mentors. Um, I I always have mentors. You just need a mentor. Um, and mentors aren't necessarily the people that, you know, you know, pat you on the back and you're like, you're doing a good job. You know, mentors are, in my view, they, they're the ones that give you the constructive criticism. They're the ones that are the hardliners. They're the ones that question what you do. Um, so for me personally, like I thrive off constructive criticism and mentors that are pretty brutal <laughs> because it does, it gives you a thick skin um, and you do need a thick skin, especially, well, I need a thick skin because I'm in agri-politics. So you know, it's, I can't be naive or, or get, um, get offended easily or that sort of thing. So, so I do have mentors. Um, most of my mentors are actually probably outside of ag. Um, but then I do have some very, um, respected growers and producers and people that work, you know, across various areas of the ag supply chain that I go to for advice. Um, and I would always choose their advice or, not over someone else, but I always call them for a different point of view or, or something. So it, I think it's important to have a, a broad network as well as your mentors. Yeah. So. So that, yes, we've spoken a lot about your career, but what is it you actually do? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I am the executive manager. It's a bit of a waffy title, but executive manager of ad, uh, policy advocacy and engagement for WA Farmers, which is our state farming organisation in WA. So WA Farmers, basically, it represents um, broadacre and livestock producers in WA. And we have, we know we have quite a few members. Um, so I basically, what I do is I, I take their issues and then I advocate on them across various levels of government um, and form policy positions. So at the moment, we're going into obviously a state election if you've read the Farm Weekly, we have a page in, in the back half of it 
WA Farmers page and then we, you know, we raise, we talk about issues, we talk about what our election campaigns are and what we want for the regions and, and the ag sector. Yeah. So I'm thinking that in your role, you're always thinking about the future of agriculture in WA. What do you perceive as challenges going forward? Yeah, I mean, so I think about this a lot, <laughs> so a lot, not just a little bit. Um, so it's not just WA, it's national as well. Um, it depends on what se- like what sector you're in. Obviously, the grains industry is going to have its own issues. Livestock and meat has its own and then obviously the wool as well. Um, but they do have a common theme um, and I think that the common theme is I actually don't think there's enough fresh minds and different perspectives coming through the ranks that are influencing the issues enough um, in agri-politics and in, in advocacy. So I see that as a big issue. And the reason why I see that is a big issue is because if you don't have these people coming through, coming through the state farming organisations or, you know, people that don't have an open dialogue with politicians and that sort of thing, then that actually directly impacts the direction that the industry takes because we are the ones who sit around the table and contribute to strategic plans and industry strategic plans and that sort of thing. Um, So if you're not at the table having that discussion, I find that a little bit – I do find that a little bit concerning – so that I see that as a, a, a bit of an issue. Um, obviously, you're always going to have your different commodity market issues and, you know, that thing. Um, and then the other thing which will always impact it moving forward is, is I think, transparency of what we do and why. And then um, bureaucratic red tape, which is unfortunately comes about from the other side and when I say the other side I, I mean people that don't necessarily have a view and an educated or knowing I hate that word and have an education not education but they have a different view but they don't necessarily acknowledge what we do and why um, and then that gets on so if you've basically got a right or extremely left view of politics that does filter through different sectors um, so you need to be there for the discussion and have that open dialogue. Yeah. Are you talking about our social licence? I am talking about our social licence, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, – I just – I don't actually like the term social licence because – No, I know many people in agriculture yeah, that don't. because yeah. it, was, it was adopted out of the mining industry originally. Um, but I think transparency is just so important what you do in what you do. And to do it well, you need to invest significant amount of money into it um, to do it properly. And – you know, there was an article – oh, no, it wasn't an article. It was a discussion on Twitter. I love Twitter. I'm always on Twitter also. If you want to ever follow the discussion, you'll find me there. Um, there was a discussion on Twitter about uh, Animals Australia and how much money that they have – no, I think it was an article – backed up, you know, and how much reserves they have. Now, they are absolute powerhouses in what they do because they campaign and they've got a lot of money going in there and that sort of thing. So – can we ever beat that in terms of the marketing? Probably not. But what we can do as an industry, and this comes back to what Livestock Leaders is doing, is just get out there, tell your story, what you do and why, why you're doing the practices that you do, particularly for animal welfare. Um, and 
not everything you read or whatever documentary you watch doesn't actually apply to Australian production systems because we do have world-leading and world-renowned animal welfare standards. We do. And that's a known fact. Um, And a proven fact. And a proven fact. It's just that it's, you know, people... They don't. They don't know the ins and outs of the industry, and it's not. It's nothing against them. It's just like you know, they they see a documentary and they think it. That's that's the only practice, um, where it's just not the case. Yeah, and like you say, that we definitely have a role in getting our story out there so that the public do know that that's not the case and they can apply that critical thinking. Um, I reckon we read the same article yeah. about the war chest and it was really interesting that they, their actual funds were coming through not by like regular monthly um, donations but by once-off really large ones when people, say, pass away and that's what they leave in their will, which I found really interesting. Oh, definitely. And, you know, it it's a big, it's a big issue and... You know, people, it's scary. Like the the movements of, you know, that sort of advocacy group is a lot more intimidating and dangerous than, say, the RSPCA, for example. Because the RSPCA, they genuinely, you know, yes, they campaign and they advocate, but they don't necessarily are against, they're not necessarily against the farming of commercial animals, for example. Um, so that there, there's a difference there. There is a difference. Um, and I think, unfortunately, sometimes they get lumped into the same group. And I think that it's just, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a right and wrong way to do it. And I think there's a lot of groups out there doing, doing the wrong thing. And then you've got these other little groups that just, they're a pain. <laughs> they're out there, nothing than a nuisance and making silliness, you know, putting themselves in a bad light, really. But you're 100% right. Like a lot of our work is teaching people how to communicate respectfully, even if they're for agriculture or against agriculture. Communicating respectfully is so important and it's really awful that some of these groups don't communicate respectfully and then we lump all of them in together like I actually find like I've got friends that are vegans and they're wonderful people and they don't push that on me they just have a view that they like to they they don't do it and that's fine and some of them are farmers really into low stress stock handling and everything but they just choose not to which I'm absolutely okay with but it's when they're really vocal um and communicate really disrespectfully that it's hard absolutely and you know Millie that goes on both sides as well absolutely so if and that is a natural that's a natural human reaction as well so if someone if someone raises a point of difference to you in the discussion and you take it as a threat your automatic reaction is to you know, is to know, like, you know, it's flight or fight. So, and I think sometimes that just needs to be, you know, pared back a little bit. And the best thing that you can not do, especially in a face-to-face or that sort of thing is just, um, you know, particularly in the meetings that I go to, is just to take a deep breath and just don't reply um, until you're, you know, you've calmed, you've inner calmed yourself because it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not just in agriculture, like in any industry, there's going to be a percentage of the population that does not agree with what you do whatsoever. And we're never going to change their minds on that. But there's always going to be those people that don't know what we do and are very open to knowing Yeah, more. definitely. And I think it's so true. Like it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what issue it is, there is still going to be 
differences of opinion and and that's life and that's freedom of speech and freedom of speech exactly right so it's how yeah. you deal with it and how you react and communicate that is most important yeah absolutely so we've spoken about some challenges and threats um opportunities I'm sure you've got some ideas yeah there's so many opportunities in ag I just that's what makes it such a good industry like there's so many intricate supply chains so many sectors so many job opportunities and there's probably you know there's the new ones are coming up all the time like there's there's not even new jobs being made yet because of the tech the tech is advancing so quickly um so there's always new opportunity I think you just have to make yourself open to that opportunity and really um I think not pigeonhole yourself as well I think that's always been one of my things that I've believed in um in my personal opinion, <laughs> is not to avoid, like, just make sure that you don't uh, pigeonhole yourself into an area um, because I think that transferable skills that we spoke about before, you know, you can go into any opportunity if you keep an open mind and you're like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I could do that or, you know, yeah. yeah. Final question, Jess. If you could get one key message out there for everyone to hear, everyone in agriculture, the whole public, what would it be? One key message. Well, I think the key message for me would be just to tell your story um, and, you know, you need to get out there, tell your story. If you don't know something, just listen and, you know, you don't have to know everything but just just listen and you, do, you won't ever know anything. Um, so there's so much power in just listening and being present in discussions and learning what's going on. Um, if you are a producer, I think you should strongly consider getting involved in um, advocacy through the political the p- political avenues um, because the industry does need you involved um, and you can have a true difference. So if you're passionate about changing the transparency and how things are done, that's your opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jess, and thanks for coming to on the Livestock Leaders podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a great chat and, um, yeah, I can't wait to hear more. I think it's awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. And thanks for sharing your story and encouraging everyone else in the livestock industry to do so. And a big thank you for our audience for listening. Um, we'll be back each fortnight with a new story to tell and more leaders and champions throughout the livestock industry starring. So please subscribe or leave a review and join our community on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at Livestock Leaders to hear more real and empowering stories. Oh,